Hey, e-commerce trailblazers, I don't normally do this, but just had to because the growth insights you'll get from this resource are way too good to miss out. So right now, I'd like you to open up your favorite podcasting app and search for Lightning 50 or Lightning 50 e-commerce. It should pop up as a first result, the Lightning 50 e-commerce growth hacking podcast by Bright Pro. Hit follow or subscribe. Why? The Lightning 50 e-commerce podcast, especially the current season three, is in my opinion, a hugely underrated e-commerce resource that is extremely relevant, not just for surviving, but for thriving in 2023. It is packed with battle-filled e-commerce growth stories from some of the most successful e-commerce brands and industry disruptors like Richard Longhurst, Thomas Howe Robson Canu, and Kath Senior. Don't let these invaluable insights and strategies slip away. To subscribe, search for Lightning 50 or Lightning 50 e-commerce on your favorite po- podcasting app or head over to brightpearl.com slash lightning hyphen 50 hyphen podcast. Biggest piece is, uh, is just getting decent content creators that relate to your brand to, to create content. So I mean, you don't have to have a huge production team. You can find people on Instagram or where your where your audience is that are producing content and can produce content. Now it's user generated content, but it's always for me. It seems to come back to the human piece and how do you put that human into that bo- into that computer when you go to that website, right? And that human element comes through in your branding and in everything that you push as a brand and what you stand for. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Want to improve your e-commerce customer experience with the power of AI? Tidio, the highest rated live chat app on Shopify, has you covered. With Tidio AI-powered chatbots and live chat, you can automate up to 73% of recurring questions, providing excellent customer support while creating a personalized shopping recommendation that increases your conversion rate. Tidio not only resolves tickets, but also creates sales opportunities, making it a must-have for e-commerce operators. With dozens of e-commerce tool integrations and the ability to manage all communication channels in one dashboard, Tidio simplifies your customer interactions. And with the Tidio Plus plan, you get a dedicated customer success manager to help you unlock the full potential of Tidio's features. Join over 300,000 businesses in revolutionizing your customer experience with Tidio. Head to Tidio dot com slash 2x for a special offer and try Tidio for free today. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Kunle. I'm excited to be here today. No, no, I'm I'm like souped. I'm excited. So when the opportunity to, to speak with you arose, I, you know, I'd done some research on your website and I just realize that um, with everything you've put out there, which is nadimo.com, N-A-D-I-M-O.com, 
um, there'll be so much value in in this, you know, um, conversation we're about to have. So, so a very warm welcome to the Two X Ecommerce Podcast. Well, thank you. I'm just super pumped to be here today. Actually, I'm looking. I've been looking forward to it for a while. So, you're you're an e-commerce advisor. You're a coach, right? To e-commerce teams of varied sizes. How did you get here? What 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 was your what were your beginnings like? Could you want to sort of give us a a quick overview of of who you are and and um, yeah, I'll be keen to to hear. Oh, a quick overview. Well, that could be interesting. Um, but you you know, let me let me start. Um, actually, it starts when I just after I learned to read. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> that's why I said it could be interesting. But no, um, let's go back. Let's go back. The the further the the, the further back, the more interesting. Well, it, it and is. I think it's it kind is. of an interesting story, actually. To be honest with you, so um, Canadian. If you're Canadian or you're not, either way, Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan is where my dad is from, and he's a he was he graduated from uh, university there as a programmer and he was the first one of the first program like people to, to graduate in like computer science so anyway i grew up with computers coming home and and this was back in the day when they called them the compact luggables you can just google search that if you're not sure what it is it's an old computer about the size of a suitcase uh you'd flip down the the keyboard and there's your monitor and it's this little two color one color monitor monochrome they called it back then and he brought it home and he said here you go have some fun and i went on there and all there was was unbeatable game of tic-tac-toe and that's no fun for a kid when you can't even beat the game so he i said dad i want to play games so the next day he brings me home and he throws his book like this thick down on in front of me and i'm probably eight years old so i knew how to read i was a little older than just learned to read but threw this book down and it said games in basic. So I had to learn how to code my own games. Um, and so from that day forward, um, I've been always interested in technology and what makes it work. And then, and then from that, like growing, going on, always wanting to, you know, earn some money as a kid. I, I went out and I, you know, I do, you know, what kids do, do your lemonade stands and stuff, but I didn't find that rate enough money for me. So I decided I would sell my toys and rent my toys. So I rent my toys to my brother until I had my until I had my first bankruptcy when my parents took my bank my uh, took all my money and emptied out my piggy bank and said, "No, you can't be renting toys to your brother. You lend those to him." So anyway, long story short, I went ahead and I started selling my toys at toy sales on the street, and I'd sell and I sold all my toys, and then I'd go and buy more from another like other things and sell them off and just just to make some money and so as time grew those two kind of started to merge when e-commerce started to come around you know with the beginnings of ebay and that sort of thing and i started an online store back then uh, when ebay was like a year old and they evaluated it i read an article where it was evaluated at a million dollars and i'm like oh man this is cool that's a really cool idea and so i really started to investigate how that worked and so that was my beginnings in the e-commerce world way back then. And so as I've grown and worked in the development space of e-commerce and then um, was brought on by IBM as a futurist a few years back, um, that's when I really started to 
to be people started reaching out to me as an advisor and a, and a coach because they were looking for assistance um, and just what seemed like simple things to me were were actually a little bit deeper level problems for other people and so we just started to kind of mesh and and a lot of that came from came from becoming a futurist with IBM and realizing you know what uh, what types of things people were were in need of and looking for and and that sort of thing. So that's that's a very quick history, but uh, gives you like I said, I would go way back, and it does. It starts from when I was just learning how to read. So let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So if you have been following my journey here on this podcast, you'll know that I'm a co-founder at Octelian, a consolidator of digital-first good-for-you CPG brands. We acquire CPG brands with the view of scaling them up. We currently have a portfolio of three brands, all powered by commerce platform Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage startup entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control in every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. I remember the first brand we acquired was running on another platform with quite poor conversions. We made it a point of duty to get it migrated over to Shopify and our checkout conversions literally doubled. What I love about Shopify is its ease of use. I don't think there's any other e-commerce platform that beats its usability. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify's truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24 help is there to support your success every step of the way this is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash e-commerce x2, all lowercase. That is go to shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 to take your business to the next level today. That is shopify.com slash e-commerce x2. Hey 2Xers, I want to take a moment to talk about a service that has made a significant impact on product launches for our e-commerce brands. It's called Tread. Tread first hit the market in early 2020 and has since become the go-to financing option for over 500 brands, including big names like Rosom. In just one sentence, Tread can be described as the ultimate solution for purchasing inventory, allowing retailers to sell first and pay suppliers later. 
As an e-commerce brand owner myself, I can't emphasize enough how helpful Tread has been for our business. Their unsecured funding and credit model, which takes into account the current financial health of a business, has allowed us to access financing without worrying about collateral. We've improved our cash flow by avoiding upfront supplier payments and freeing up funds. This has enabled us to invest in larger orders, expand our product range, and even negotiate supplier discounts. And let me tell you, the flexibility is amazing. Tread offers a pay-as-you-go model with a flat and transparent fee, which means you only use it when you need to. No hidden cost or long-term commitments, just a simple and effective way to manage our inventory financing. The best part? Tread works independently of e-commerce platforms and requires minimal onboarding. It doesn't matter if you're a founder, CEO, CFO, or part of the finance team. Tread can be a game changer for your business. With taglines like sell first, pay suppliers later, and snooze your supplier invoices with Tread, it's clear that Tread is all about empowering businesses like ours to import the goods we need now while handling the invoice and allowing us to pay up to 120 days later. So if you're in the e-commerce space and looking for a smart, flexible financing solution, I highly recommend giving Tread a try. Visit their website on treyd.io. That's treyd.io to learn more and get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. No, there's there's a lot of context and and the threads I I picked up from from that was um, one um, clever in in terms of um, you know coding your games two enterprising um, three passionate about e commerce and four what does an IBM futurist you know do on a day to day basis I'm I'm really curious is it specific to 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 commerce or um, yeah. is, is, is this, you know, technology as, as a whole? Well, actually a little bit of both. So for me, I came on as an IBM futurist for the commerce side of the company. Um, this was when they had WebSphere commerce and they, I was tasked with, with, uh, helping them build the future of e-commerce. Um, and, and so they wanted to understand what is it that the thought leaders in the space are looking at and dealing with on an ongoing basis. and then. That included um, being invited as a VIP to their conferences and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, a little bit of, of, you know, and then, of course, when you're at the conferences, you tweet out about stuff you're seeing. But really, it was about educating me as to what they're doing and then learning from me as to what they could be doing better, to, you know, build their products and stuff like that. And they've since, um, they've since, I'm no longer involved with that because they've since grown that side of their business to a point where they were able to offload it and sell it off for, uh, I think it was several, several billion dollars, their, their WebSphere commerce side of the business. But, but it was brought on for specifically to help them, you know, with that side of things. And it was, when you ask about the technology, the really neat part about it was it really got involved with, with what they were calling at the time, cognitive technology. They were trying to steer away from the word AI which then we coach them in the fact that people will relate with AI and they're saying, yeah, but negatively. 
uh, in many cases. But and so that was their fear. But then they went ahead and they they realized, okay, we have to go with AI because that's the common terminology for it. But co- cognitive was the overwhelming piece because it was it included artificial intelligence, machine learning, all these aspects all in one. Uh, when if you break it down on a technical level, they're all very different. But here nor there, that there is a cognitive college, which I became, um, I was part of that and that sort of thing as well. So it's kind of interesting times right now, especially with, with AI where it's at, um, because I saw mm. this evolving several, several years ago. Um, Mm. So, I think IBM sold. I just googled it. IBM sold to to HCL yes. um, back in 2019. Yeah. Their web fair um, you know platform for about 1.8 billion um, you know dollars. That's right. Incredible, yeah. incredible stuff. Okay, so you spoke about mega trends. Um, listeners of this podcast are essentially operators. They roll their sleeves. They they are charged with the task to grow their businesses what macro trends in 2023 would have a direct impact in their growth strategies you mentioned ai i don't want to um, make this a a suggestive question but um we can't ignore ai but what should they really be aware of to be at that cutting edge um, from a technology as well as a business strategy standpoint in, in 2023. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you uh, because what I think when you talk about AI and everybody's talking about AI and chat GPT and all these new tools that are there and, and that sort of thing. But I wrote an article several, several years ago about chat and the use of chat because again, going back to my time with as a futurist, they were using Watson. IBM is known for their Watson uh, tool, which is their AI-driven tool. And when I was sitting there at the conference, I'm seeing all these visions in my head of all this greatness, you know, and how people could just ask a chat bot for the answers. And and it never really, never really got there. Really, if you go to a site now, you type into the chat, you end up with a form that pops up. Or you end up with you're talking to a bot and you know it's a bot and they get the standard answers and they give you this. Technology is now honestly at a point where you can utilize the chat tools if you want to and you have the resources to do so. And they'll talk more about resources, but if you if you leverage the technologies that are available, um, you could really stand apart and you can keep people from going into the the queue, right? The people used to hate getting on the phone and you get put in a queue. Well, now you go to a chat on a website and you get put in the queue um, and or you're waiting days for your reply. People want instant satisfaction and gratification. And one of the struggles with e-commerce over the years is that they are interfacing with a machine. So you don't get that personal inner level interaction that you can get when you go into a traditional retail outlet. I believe that technology is almost at a point, if not already at a point where you can bridge that gap a lot. So you're going to allow, be able to uh, increase your customer service satisfaction levels um, by integrating some of these, these technological tools that are out there. 
So yeah, she didn't necessarily want to feed the beast of talking about AI, um, but there are some some advantages that people could leverage right now. Uh, and I think that's a very, it's not a quick win because there's some, there's some work to be done by the development teams and the marketing teams and the customer service team as a whole to make that happen. But uh, I think as a futuristic type thought, bringing that to today's reality, I think that's where we're at now. So, so your, your, your thoughts are still, you know, infusing a bit of humanity into, you know, um, chat into the chat experience and, and making sure that that instant gratification um that um you know people go to well they, they expect um is is still there and and not necessarily just relying wholly and solely on on tech to, yes to, to, to solve that that piece yeah i'll be honest with you i don't believe I believe very heavily in technology. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Alice, of course, you've known by my life's history, but um, I do believe that there always has to be a level of humanity involved. Um, and it may get to a point where humanity is used strictly to check these chat sessions that, that the chat bots maybe are having with people to make sure they're answering their questions and, and directing them correctly. It may be to that mm -hmm. level, but there still always needs to be a human touch, a human factor involved. Um, but I also believe that you can make these make these interactions with technology much more humanistic. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I um I started to use a a plugin for Google for my um my Gmail my Google Mail. Um, it's called Ghostwrite, right? Mm. And um, it's I think it's powered by by this GPT thing. I'm I'm not quite sure, but what it's been able to to help me do is say you you wanted me to speak at an event. You sent me an email, and I completely forgot about it. And you sent me a reminder. I need to just open up that email. There's a small interface in there. I'll just type out, respond to Brandon, um, give him a yes, and it will it will turn out. It, it it has options for if I want to make it professional, concise, formal, and all of that stuff. And it will write that email. It learns from my tone of voice. Um, I just need to 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 instruct it, yeah. and then it'll give me an okay to sign sign off on there. And the more I sign off, the more it gets my tone of voice. And it just saved me tons of hours of just, it's just helped me with, with inbox efficiency. And I think the sponsors of this podcast, one of the sponsors of this podcast, they're called Tidio. They're, they, they, they're like an online chat solution um, for Shopify stores. And they're doing something similar, exactly like that, but for, your agents. Um, but the, the difference, the, well, the improvement there is it then learns and knows transactional history. So it can read your orders. It can get like, um, you know, um, the, the tracking, you know, information and all of that stuff. So there's a lot more context. Mm -hmm. And so one, you're not going to need as many agents as possible Two, the productivity per agent is going to just triple essentially. Um, 
And there's still that humanity on there because a human is still going to okay what what it's generating. So say you're a, you're a slow typer or it just types faster than a human, really. It just <laughs> figures stuff out and, and just that, does that. And I think that blend, that cyborgy blend is, is where we're at in, in commerce. But what other macro trends are, are you seeing that people must embrace? Operators, e-commerce operators must embrace that the, the, you know, the, some of them might be sitting on the fence on uh, that just to thrive, given all the headwinds in, in, in the economy and in, you know, in, in commerce and there will still be winners. That, that's the, the funny thing that they, they are winners, you know, coming, emerging from, from all this chaos. Well, it's kind of funny because I've, like I write for, I write for a publication and, and in doing so, I do a lot of interviews with, with a lot of the fast growing companies. And I specifically target only like the consumer brand, like companies that have e-commerce websites um, and, and that do a significant amount of their business there. Um, and one of the biggest challenges that they're running into now um, is quite frankly, is the fact that they're growing so fast that they need to build their teams for where they're going. Um, but they're currently stuck because they're stuck at where their teams and their infrastructure as a whole, technology as well, is built for where they're at and not where they're going. Um, and so one mm-hmm. that's a common trend that's coming. And the funny thing is, is that the, uh, you know, the economic times that we keep hearing about don't seem to be impacting the companies that are doing things right. Um, and, and when I say doing things right, I mean, I mean, I, that has a whole gamut of, of components, right? For me, it's special, it's specific to the people and the process and the, like the technology falls within that. And, and I, I always talk to people about consider the gray areas, the grays or the fringe pieces and, and the overlaps. So, you know, when you speak to your, your audience, a lot of the time it's, oh, that's a marketing problem. Um, we're struggling right now. That's a marketing problem. We need to increase our sales or we need to increase our ROAS, which don't even get me started on ROAS. Uh, that will open up a whole new can of worms because not a fan of that, that specific number. Um, and you can bring it up if you want. But what I'm getting at is, you know, people put them in, still put things in silos, no matter how big, small, or otherwise your company is. It's The problem is marketing. No, the problem is the technology. And you hear the IT department always fighting with marketing, saying, oh, this is the problem. No, it's your problem and otherwise. But the problem often lies in between. So it's, you know, there's a gray area in the middle that needs to be solved. And a lot of the time, so it's really, and those companies that are doing really well have identified that. And they're nailing that part of the, the situation. And so they're, they know, okay, this is an overlapping issue. So a lot of those companies that are doing really well run more of a flat structure as opposed to the hier- the traditional hierarchy. Um, and so, I mean, that involved a big change, but within the departments themselves, if they're running more of a flat structure, they can, they can interweave these problems and solve them together as opposed to opposing forces. Right. So with a flat structure, do you want to, to, to delve, de- de- delve a bit deeper? What, what does a 
say a flat structure for for your marketing you know department look like say say the acquisitions team or the retention teams or, or blend okay. of that or, or the te- or the tech team okay so uh, let me talk about so there's I'll give you an example um, I was working with a girl named Tammy and she she came to me she's overwhelmed and she she was she's a CMO of an organization of um, about mid millions about mid seven seven figures about half a million about five million sorry five million dollars a year and you know she came to me she's overwhelmed a little bit you know discombobulated just directionless these were her words to me but really what it was is she thought okay my issue is i have to grow this company i want to grow this company um i need to figure out a way to get my rope my my ROAS up because everybody saw a dip in those numbers over the years. Um, a lot of numbers dropped. Um, and she's like, how do I increase these numbers? And so her and I sat down and, and really dissected it and looked in the fringe areas and thought, you know what, this is not an, an issue of your numbers because your numbers are still very, very solid. The issue is um, you need content development. And she said, I'm aware of that. And so we were thinking about hiring a designer. I said, okay. So then we explored that further and realized, no, you don't need a designer. You need somebody to run your content team. And so let's bring on some influencers. And because you had a small influencer program going, but she said, she saw a lot of feedway runway from that, that fed to the marketing side within the Facebook ads and Instagram ads. And, Etc. Right. So, what we did was we brought on, we worked together to bring on a uh, a content manager, so to speak. Now, the titles are kind of irrelevant because, like I'm talking about, a flat structure. They all work together. So she's working on the strategy. This other person's working on the marketing, um, on the influencer marketing side of things, and some email. And then their other person who is their designer and their copywriter so, um, is also a little bit of a uh, of the general manager, so to speak. And so what that does is those three people and then the customer service side of the team, they have one key customer service individual who is, again, like I said, this overlaps a little bit, right? Because customer service is not thought of as necessarily part of your marketing team. But it can be um, because customer service can bring in dollars. They can bring renewed business. They keep your customers happy. There's a lot of things they do there. But And so when I talk about a flat structure, technically there's a person in charge there, right? That's, that's um, I forgot her name. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's, that's Tammy. But Tommy, yeah. Tommy. Yeah. So that's what she's got going there. And, but the thing is, it's all flat and they're all working in what I call their core, right? So you'll hear it in other places, their area of genius, their brilliance, their their passion area. But they're all working in that specific space in overlapping degrees. And so what that allows in a flat structure is you you build this solid, solid team that works so well together. And they all have their their experiences and their expertise 
that it allows that business to grow exponentially and grow so well because they're working so well together and it just creates an inner level of energy within that team. Um, and it's just, it's incredible what it does um, at so many different levels for the business. Mm-hmm. Speaking of content teams, um, asking for a friend, <laughs> what, what is, what would be your first hire? We, we had, the um, reason I'm asking is we had um, Jake, Jake Carls come in. He's, um, he's a co-founder at a CPG, digital first CPG brand. Um, it's called Midday Squares. And he's quite a character. He is like quite a character. He's a very colorful individual and he has a camera with him all the time. He's been able to create a story around himself. Not only that, um, at the start of the start in the business, at the start of their, their, um, this, the inception of the business, they, he had, he has two other co-founders, his sister and a husband. They made a, a very, very deliberate decision to, um, be a media company alongside being a, a, um, a CPG brand. What did that mean? They wanted to create a reality show, but a, a, a D2C kind of like CPG reality show, um, just showing the trials, the tribulations, the wins of, of their brand. And then they had an enemy. So they picked up an enemy. Um, it was Herschel's. Um, I think they do like keto-friendly um, chocolate bits or something but it's it's a refrigerator type um, product and that's done phenomenally well they they're they're growing in strides they're entertaining um they've even done a rendition of um the the m&m slim shady um you know um video they've done a whole video they 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 did their own version of that video on on, on youtube so it's a, they're, they're really creative but but the one thing i picked up was like look we're going to get a script writer. Obviously, they had the resources. Um, they're, they're, they're somewhat funded. They were initially bootstrapped and then they, 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 um, they decided to, to raise finance. So th- they have this video production team, essentially. So it's like they have a YouTube, <laughs> kind of like a YouTube setup on the one hand. And then they're like, seriously, they, they recently moved into like a $3 million um, facility, production facility. So, so they're, they're really, really, and, and then their stuff tastes really good. So from an op standpoint, they're, they're killing it. They're like right there, but their marketing team now has just made them just so different from everybody else. They, they really, really cut through the noise. I guess my question is like for, for listeners who may not have those resources, what is the barest minimum from a content marketing standpoint to, to really, really, um, you know, um, have a, have a niche or to, to really, really stand out, you know, in, in, in whatever, um, you know, market or vertical you're, you're operating in. So that's, it's an excellent question. Um, trying to remember. So I actually recently interviewed a company called Crossnet. Um, and they grew their business entirely on influencers um, and and content creators, essentially. Um, and now I mentioned them because they grew their whole business on it. But the thing is, is what they did was a little bit different. And then what what each company does 
is always got to be different. So you're not going to, because everybody has different funds that they can allocate to different components and that sort of thing. But the thing about it is, um, so as a bare minimum, so to speak, like you asked about, I think the biggest key is actually to, uh, um, sorry, I'm just trying to, trying to get my thoughts here to process. So just give me a second. I think the uh, the biggest biggest piece is uh, is just getting decent content creators that relate to your brand to to create content. So, I mean, you don't have to have a huge production team. You can find people on Instagram or where your where your audience is that are producing content and can produce content with maybe with like talking about your product that they're eating or, or wearing your purse or your shirts or whatever. Um, and if you, you know, you build that up and you have enough of them, sometimes you'll find that one small, like a micro influencer can produce an extra $50,000 to your bottom line. And you're paying them maybe a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, and so but in the same vein, you might be saying paying a couple hundred dollars a month and they're not really producing. So it really is a matter of getting people out there talking about your brand. It's kind of like the old, like old concept of being, you know, just getting on the street and handing out cards and doing kind of different old school street hit the hitting the streets type of mentality. But really that level of things can be applied. Um, and at a grassroots level. So like really, if you just had a, just start with a few influencers and, or people who are content creators may not even have a big following and you're targeting those micro influencers, you can grow it really quickly that way. And for a very limited budget. And then what you can do there too, is what this is off brand. And this is the one trouble that you will run into um, is you can run into situations where you're a little bit off brand because it's you're not controlling the content necessarily that's coming in because you're getting these other people to do it. And then but if you're doing this and this content is being created by the people, it has a better chance of going viral. It has a better chance of getting on some like in the case of uh Crossnet, they got coverage in some very big uh news publications because one person talked about their brand and their product in such a way that it resonated with the right person um so then all of a sudden it just skyrocketed from there but it really they work with micro influencers and i really am a fan of working with the micros to build a bigger picture and what you can do is now with different things in the facebook world and the meta world so to speak um you can end up in a situation where you're repurposing that content um, in your branding throughout all the pl different platforms in a very easy way. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers your question necessarily, but I think the whole key there is just micro. Uh, it, can, it can be on a micro level and grow it from there. Yeah, I, 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 I take on your point and I, I like the point on, you know, working small, um, finding, um, that fits being a bit scrappy to democratize the word of mouth 
from these micro influencers so that it organically goes viral or anything close to viral. Um, so you relinquish a little bit of control from what you alluded to in in order to to let it have its you know, you know life of its own mm-hmm. um, by by giving it to to these these somewhat scrappy micro influencers who to be honest have a good ROAS when you find the the really good ones you know they they get they give you a very good return and um, their their audiences are quite attentive you know to to um their their choice of um you know suggestions or um or um yeah the the choice of suggestions are, and I I yeah I'm 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 look we're, we're we're assessing an account now that we're potentially going to acquire at Octillion and um a lot of that business is is influencer marketing and, and I can tell you that um the the best the highest return returning um customers for 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 what these business this this particular business actually invests in influencers um come at that micro um and a bit of a macro, but they're not like when when they 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 work with like the the mega influencers or so influencers of when one million plus followers they get the the least ROAS um on for that investment one they're they're expensive it costs tens of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars um and then two they just it just doesn't pick up the volume but that sweet spot is from fifteen thousand to five hundred thousand followers, you know. Yeah, it's um, funny that you and, said and that, that just tends to, to to work really, really well. Yeah, and those were the numbers that yeah. like we've I've seen a lot of the success in that fifteen thousand, like that smaller bracket. It's amazing how much the ROAS is. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. you focus too much in that space, and you're going to have to have multiples of them, and that's when you start adding on to your re, adding a resource to your team to to run and and manage that whole process of things, but. But like you said, I mean, that's you. You have very big returns um, for those for those micros, and and yeah, once you get to a certain level, it, it doesn't pay off quite as well. Um, you're absolutely right. So you're a UGC man, user generated content. Um, so so what about like um, brand generated content? When 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 should brands start um, really tapping into? Um, controlling their own narrative and how, what approach would you suggest they, they take um, from a content perspective? That's a great question. I don't, so I'll be honest, that end of things is that's when I kind of start turning it over to more of a branding agency or to the in-house. Um, I don't necessarily spend a lot of my life and time in there outside of the, the, you know, the higher, higher level question, like you're mentioning here. And so with that in mind, um, I think it's always important that you maintain your brand uh, and you have to do that. You have to have like, what is your brand about? That core essence of what your brand is about, what it is that you've gone into this business as an owner. So we're going back to owner level, but what is it that that brand is about to the owner? And then that comes down into all of the different levels. But Really, what is your brand about? It has to be at the core of everything. So even if it's user-generated content, if that user-generated content goes against everything that you stand for as a brand, you have to, you have to nip that in the bud. You can't you can't allow for that to go too far, right? So if I have a sustainable mm-hmm. business and then I see them wearing, you know, carrying plastic bags or doing something in my in the ad that they're but they're wearing my swimsuits, which are sustainable. 
that's that goes against everything you're trying to create, right? So that mm-hmm. said, I mean, you have to you have to keep your core message, your core principles have to be front and center. I mean, you go to your website because we're talking e-commerce here. You go to your website to make a purchase, and they go to the home page or they land on a product page, the messaging has to be consistent throughout. Um, it has to maintain its consistency as far as exactly what you as a brand stand for. Because people buy the why, they don't buy the the what. They don't buy the, I mean, obviously, they, the oh, I like the flowers on that design or whatever, but they buy the why, right? And And that's why I was talking in the beginning about well, now it's user-generated content, but it's always, for me, it seems to come back to the human piece and how do you put that human into that bo- into that computer when you go to that website, right? And that human mm-hmm. element comes through in your branding and in everything that you push as a brand and what you stand for. So I think that still has to be paramount, has to be front and center right from the very beginning. Um, I think of user-generated content as a means of building upon that. Um, and once those users, I mean, those people who are generating the content, they need to understand your overall brand before they should even start mm. working, doing work for you as well. Mm. Good points. Good points. And let's speak to, to a topic you're, you're very, very um, familiar with, which is conversion rate optimization. Um, how for, for brands that have not started CRO, what is the best way, best approach? How would you lay out um, the next six months should they decide to get into CRO? That's a great question. Uh, I think the first thing you've got to do for any CRO effort is you have to make sure you have the data. Um, so you have to make sure, and the data has to be accurate. Um, there's all kinds of data tools out there, um, but you have to make sure that a you're collecting the data correctly. First of all, um, that could be a variety of things, but data collection and um, is number one. And you have to know the customer journeys. You have to, you know, you have to understand your 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 customers as well as you can in order to convert and figure out why they're not converting. Um, and so that goes like, that goes right into the data. Um, first and foremost, that's where technology really takes over um, is in understanding all of those components. And I mean, there's, 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 you know, simple things that everybody can do. And I mean, you can just Google it and you're going to find them, but, Honestly, those aren't what move the needle. The moving the needle comes from understanding that true customer journey and where they're having those stalling points. Um, and in some cases, if you think about what we started the conversation with, with regards to the chatbot, um, in some cases, that data that's collected from there is going to speak volumes to you too. Like, hey, I'm looking for this and I can't find it, or you know, it's if it injects and asks questions of the of the person who's on the site it can assist them in getting to where they need to go but it also lets you know that it's not as user-friendly in some instances or may not flow if they're not flowing through the site as you had intended or or your testing team had tested for um, and those types of pieces and so 
the first and foremost, like you absolutely have to have your data in place so that you can then dissect it and figure out what needs to change and what and that sort of thing. And then from there, it becomes pieces like A-B testing uh, to make sure that you're on the right track. Because the worst mistake you could make there is to say, okay, here, this is this is what this is what we recommend you do, but you're only doing that based on like best common best practices. Um, when a common best practice for you may not be what's going to work for you, um, or you compare it to your competitor. Well, you don't know what your competitor is actually doing. Maybe they're doing worse than you are, right? As far as their conversion rates, uh, you don't know. You just you could be assuming that they're doing better. So, you know, somebody walks in and says, here, this is, this is our competitor. They're, they're, this is what we need our site to look like on these product pages, for example. Um, well, is that really what's going to work for your for your people? Um, so don't make any assumptions. Use the data. It all comes down to the data, I guess, is my opinion on that. Um, on, on that note, um, well, well, I just have to say that um, you've made a very, very important first, in my opinion, a first principle um, approach to to conversion rate optimization or just optimization in general, which is you you know setting up those data systems to capturing you know metrics that matter yes. one, and then the the second really is that customer journey, just that obsession of just knowing how do customers transition from step to step in in my journey, and not just on your website. It could be like influencer, mm-hmm. paid paid media, landing page, abandon, cart abandonment, and then they respond to an SMS. As in understanding all of those touch points, um, having that big picture and understanding where, what data to even collect in each each touch point, and then deciding, okay, this is what I'm going to split test. This is my hypothesis. This is what I I, I think could work if I change or tweak this because you have that understanding. It's like an engineer or, you know, an electronic engineer that knows a motherboard of a, of a device, you know, whether it's a, you know, a computer or, you know, any, any gizmo before they attempt to fix it. Because you're trying to fix stuff, you know, you're trying to fix and then optimize, right. With, um, with, with CRO. So it's a very, very, very good point, Brandon. Okay. So let's wrap today's episode with um just your final thoughts or on on suggestions on um resources like vital resources um you know um e-commerce operators listening to this podcast will or should tap into um just your most your 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 your, your most most highly recommended um resources for them to to to, to tap into for, for for growth Hmm. Actually, that's kind of interesting because I th- I find that a lot of the resources I'm recommending on a regular basis all vary. <laughs> so, um, I'll be honest. Here's a here's a one that people are going to be like, "Oh, Brandon, that's a no brainer." But I mean, honestly, they're not fully Google Analytics. Believe it or not, is actually a very good tool if you use it correctly. The one reminder for people out there with that one is to upgrade to GA four. Uh, lots of people haven't done that yet. Um, and it's, there's some issues for those, for, for listeners who don't know 
what GA4 is. You want to give a quick rundown on GA4? Oh, <laughs> it's so Google has reformat. Basically, it's they've they re, It's a new version. It's the updated version of Google Analytics in short. Um, but it's it's using it's using different technologies to make it to make it more efficient in some ways. But long story short is the old version of analytics is going to be going away. And so you need to upgrade to the newer version so that you can get um, deeper level information from them. Um, now, you might want to add a little bit more to that for me, Kunli. That's totally fine. Um, I just don't know what depth you want to get into as far as, of, as, far as GA4 is specifically. Oh, no. Uh, I think that, that, that is sufficient. Okay. Brandon, so 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 um yeah, so you said Google Analytics is is your go-to. That's my go-to for uh, you know for getting deeper level information. I mean, there's there's Triple Whale and there's other resources like that as well that are great. Um, one of the things though too is um, Hotjar, but there's also one called Full Story. That's a great little tool too that people don't necessarily know a lot about it. Um, and it allows you to actually watch the user sessions. Hotjar, I believe, does that as well. Um, but I know that Full Story was it was one of the first ones I was put in touch with many, many years ago. And I still like to use it because I sit there and you can literally watch user sessions. Now, you have to set it up because if you're getting 10,000 visitors in a day and you're not going to watch all 10,000 of those, right? So you have to set it up so that you're watching specific journeys on your site and that sort of thing. But it's nice to be able to see because you can, there's a, there's something they have and, and the others have in the same way, but they call it different, which is, um, I can't even remember what they call it now, but it's hate clicking or whatever, which is like, that people are bashing on a button because they think it's supposed to do something. Um, and so it'll, it'll actually tell you, Hey, there's an issue here. <laughs> people are thinking they're supposed to click, but they're not, and they're clicking it and nothing's happening. So little things like that, you don't even realize when you build it out and you have your, you have all the systems in place to have your, your, your testing team go through this. A lot of the time they're, they're, they're focused in one direction, right? Because they work within the company. They believe they need to test it a certain way or they all have a specific way of doing something. So another piece of my advice there too is to bring in some, in some cases, bring in external help, okay? And I'm not, just so that there's an extra set of eyes that's not so used to your company and they can bring in a fresh perspective. And that's one of the other pieces that also is advantageous. Um, especially when it comes to things like that, because it's like, okay, we're so focused on our company and our business. And it goes back to what I talked about, like looking in those gray areas. Sometimes it's hard to see those, those intersecting aspects of the business um, from the outside looking in too, uh, when you're not, when you're in it in the day to day. You make a really good point around, um, you know, those blind spots in, in a business and you're just parachuting somebody in to, to, to just get a lay of the land and, and then, um, you know, you know, just pointing out those, those, those bottlenecks and, um, you wouldn't even know. And, you know, they, they, I think you mentioned it prior to, to us speaking, recording, is it you where we're talking about, um, you know, from, I think it's, what's this book? Um, good, oh, good, good to, to great. great. Yeah. 
where it's like it's about the 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 incrementals or small incrementals. Yes. You, you you mentioned it. It was yeah, you. Yeah, you mentioned the small incre- incremental changes. You know, and and when they compound, you know, it it, it makes it makes that net difference from from competition, and you want that. Yes. Uh, so yes, okay. So um, for people who want to find out more about you, want to follow you, um, the your website is nadimo.com. It's n a d i m o dot com. Are you active on 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 any social media platforms? I am. Um, I'm active, for people to who I'm active on LinkedIn on a regular basis, so people can go there and they can uh, connect with me. I typically, if you're going to connect from this show, say, "Hey, I saw you on Two uh, X Commerce," and then I'll accept your invite right away. Um, I do get a lot of just generic ones, so if it's generic with no message, I may not accept it. So, say you saw me on Two X or heard me on Two X Commerce, and I'll absolutely accept you there. Um, I'm active, semi-active on Twitter. It's at bmosqua.com. But, you know, one thing I'd love to do too um, is I wanted to be on your show for a while. It's taken me a long time to reach out to you, um, you know, and and I'd love to be able to, you know, we had just talked about, you know, bringing in somebody external for an extra set of eyes. And I would be happy to, you know, if anybody out there wants to, wants to just, get my eyes on something or get some advice i'd be happy to sit down with any one of them for 15 minutes and i'll bet you in the 15 minute call that we have i can give them some very specific marching orders or direction that they can take um, and if they want to do that they can just go to no bs no sales bs.com um, so it's no no sales bs.com and just book a 15 minute call with me um, and then and I say I actually bought that domain specifically because I I don't like people thinking it's a sales call because I am not selling you nothing. I literally want to help people, and so if that fifteen minutes helps you move your business in the right direction, then let's do it. Um, I am more than more than happy to do that for people from your show. Um, and so I'll just put that out there as well. Uh, so those are the best ways to get a hold of me, Braden. Thank you so much for coming on the Two X Commerce Podcast Show. We'll link to all the resources you've mentioned, and you know the best ways to, to get in touch with you. It's been a warm pleasure having you, and thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I've been really enjoyed the time here today. Thank you. <laughs>